So there's one more area that I want to cover with you. Um, both of these areas, I think, are, are really crucial. The one we just did on the, the feast, I, I think, really, I mean, this is OT backgrounds class. We really should um, spend time on that. If I redid the course, I would probably pull some time out of something else. Uh, I think I could have pulled another week, and, and we could have expanded this a little. The other one is this issue, though. Israel and their Bible, specifically uh, during the, at the end of the Old Testament, the intertestament time period, and then into the New Testament time period, what took place with this. Uh, I think you need to be aware of it, and you also need to, um, for future studies, if you're going to teach, preach, research, etc., cetera, uh, if, and you haven't been exposed to it yet, uh, it's time to be exposed to it. So the text of the Old Testament, all right? Um, for starters, I think we learned this probably the first week, right? The Tanakh. So you got the, the Torah, the law, the prophets, and the writings, right? Then we do this like day one almost, all right? And so... That's pretty simple, okay? The first five books of Moses, uh, the Pentateuch, or the, the Torah, they are the oldest written records in the world. Next to these in antiquity probably come portions of the Talmud. You say, well, what's the Talmud? Well, that's what we're going to talk about. Um, Sorry, oldest written records. Can you hear me again? <coughs> um, that's what it said. Oldest written records. I don't know. I didn't write the statement, so maybe it's a misquote. Um, it is possible. It probably came from, uh, I don't know where it came from. I didn't even put my source on that page. So Gilgamesh, Gilgamesh epic stuff is um, old, but... You mean to write like Joel and, and, and stuff like that? Yeah. Is that what it's well, like? Yeah. No, that is problematic, actually, because Moses didn't write till about 1445. So, what was, the, what was the full statement? The oldest written records. Like historical uh, records? Right. Yeah, they probably made something a little more specific. Yeah. Um, they didn't really expand on that. I don't know if I got it. I'm going to mention a guy in a minute, Abrams. Uh, I don't know if that was on his stuff that I got that from. So, take that one with a grain of salt. Um, <laughs> so, <laughs> Apocrypha, that won't be on your test anyway. All right. So the Apocrypha, okay, it means hidden or secret, all right? And I want to just touch on, you're not going to have to know all these, okay, but the Apocryphal books, all right? And so this is a list, okay, of different Apocryphal books, and I'll, I'll show you a chart in a minute of how they're connected with to the different branches of um, Judaism and, and Christianity, etc. But there's some extra portions of Esther. There's the Wisdom of Solomon. Don't confuse Ecclesiasticus with Ecclesiastes. Okay, the numbers in parentheses are the approximate dates maybe they were written. All right, um, Tobit and Judith, you might have heard of, Bellum the Dragon. So a lot of those are in some Catholic uh, Bibles. And the second page of the list is here. Um, so you got one through four Maccabees, first and second ones on the first page. Third and fourth are here. Um, the books of Enoch, you might have heard of them before. Uh, Jubilees. So anyways... Um, you have these, and this is not the, the complete list, but if you look at this chart here, all right, most of what I just showed you is here, but not all of them. This one? Yeah, it might not be. Because I, I added this one after I uploaded that to BCF, but it'll be in the video recording. So uh, the 39 books of the Old Testament, okay, I found this, this chart afterwards, that's why. 
retarded, bald, quote, Christian Bible. Okay? These other books, the apocryphal books, okay, you can see that there's a difference. So this is why people are looking at Christianity like, wait a minute, like, which Bible? Like, there actually are different, quote, Christian Bibles. Now, I wouldn't call them all the same inspired or whatever, but. So, what is now known as Protestant, okay, which I would argue is simply the Christian Bible, you know, early on, um, is just that, okay? But the Catholic Bible has these, the Orthodox Bible has additional, and then there's some other Christian Bibles in other parts of the East that have even more in their Bible. Now, so why don't we have them? I have a, it's an extremely simple answer, because Malachi is the last prophet from God in the scriptures, and it's in the, the, the silent years, if you will. That's a little bit of a hyperbolic term. It's not that God was like not doing anything, but um, there's, there's no writing prophets during that time period. And if you look at when these were written, that's when they were written. That's why we don't believe they're inspired. Okay, so it's extremely simple in, in my mind why they wouldn't be. <coughs> so, anyways, the books cover various various things, and I, I don't have the time this morning to go into what all they cover. This is just a precursor to what I really want to get into. Um, the Talmud. The Talmud is the only book, okay, which throws any light upon the inner life of the strange, deathless people. To the study of the Old Testament, the Mishnah and Gemara contribute alike to the theological and historical student an almost infinite variety of assistance in the New Testament. The position of our Lord as a public teacher opposed to the scribes and the schools can only really be understood after an intelligent study of portions of the Talmud. Okay? Like I said, in 1883. What's the Talmud? Well, that's what we talked about. In Israelite history, you have both the written law and the oral law, okay? Uh, the, the written law is the Tanakh. It's, it's the scriptures that are written down. So um, the rabbis and the learned Jews assert that on Mount Sinai, in addition to the written law, okay, um, another law was given to Moses, and it's called the oral law. So it's the stuff that wasn't written down. The Torah, <coughs> therefore, has two parts in their understanding. The prime distinction between Judaism and later religions that developed from its culture is the oral law. We share the same Old Testament. Okay, so the, the Jewish written law, written scriptures, like we share that. We believe in that. Like wholeheartedly, it came from God, the revelation. What we don't follow is the oral Torah. So, they would say the written Torah, the five books of Moses, acts as a skeletal structure of Judaism, giving it its basic physical form. Just as a skeleton is a crucial element of the human body, providing stability and structure to the human form, the Torah undergirds everything Jewish. But a skeleton isn't enough. You, you need something on the skeleton. So to them, that's the oral Torah. There's three types of information. There's Midrash, Mishnah, and mysticism, or Kabbalah which means that which is received, or it can mean tradition. Although all of these teachings were originally maintained as strictly oral communication between teachers and students, at various points in history they were committed to writing as well. And today, students of Judaism work with printed texts that are more or less canonized. Okay, So <clears throat> some of this material I'm going to get from a, a book. Um, it, I think it's in print, but it's also got some online lecture material called The Sea of Talmud by Henry Abramson. Okay? There's other sources. Okay, he's like a he's a he was a Jewish man. There's 
I also have Christian sources in here also, but um, some of this is, is from, from him. So, a little bit of a timeline, okay? So, we look back here, okay? This goes back to your question, Robert, in, in a sense, okay? The Old Testament was written in this time period. So, yes, technically speaking, anything written prior to the 1500s, which there is stuff written before 1500s, okay, um, it is before the Old Testament was written. So he, he means something different, obviously, than just exactly. Right. Okay. So the Septuagint was written around um, 250, so that, that line should really be over a little bit, So, but should be in here. The Mishnah, all right, is over here, and the Talmud is over here. And we're going to unravel a little bit about those. So during the, the period of... 30 BC to about 200 AD, okay, uh, the Roman power was at its apex. It was vigorous, effective, authoritarian. The, there was the Pax Romana, the Peace of Rome, strained relationships, uh, brief periods of tranquility. The later Hasmonean and Herodian kings deprived the Sanhedrin of authority over the national capital cases, so they couldn't sentence people to death and carry it out. Tradition says that Sanhedrin were exiled from the temple around 30 AD. Now that's interesting because that's around the same time as Jesus, right? So, um, so they would convene in the marketplace, but because it couldn't carry out its decisions, it decided to give up its authority. So rabbinical courts and sages retained jurisdiction over ritual matters and economic disputes locally. Local rabbinical courts, three judges ordained by the Nasi, the head of the Sanhedrin, after destruction of the temple, the Sanhedrin became the center of Jewish life. The head of the Sanhedrin, who was always chosen from among the descendants of Hillel, the elders, was recognized as the head of the Jewish community, not only by the Jewish community who gave him the title, Nasi, but also by the Roman authorities who called him an ethnarch. In 358 AD, the head of the Sanhedrin, Hillel II, calculated and fixed the Jewish calendar for all future generations, renouncing the Nazis' right to perform this act, and as a result, his authority throughout the Jewish world. So the position of Nazi was abolished early in the 5th century, so the leader within the Sanhedrin group, okay? Uh, basically, since Hillel II did this. In the larger towns, Jewish affairs were administered by an official institution called the Boule, or Council, which for a certain period was the decisive power in every town. Um, so that's the Mishnah period, 30 to 200. From 200 AD to 500 AD, the Roman authority um, destabilized. There was anarchy, wars, rivals, Christianity is increasing during this time, and the Jewish communities are weakening. A turning point in internal administration took place during the time of Rabbi Hanasi. In his will, he divided the role of the Nasi, which had spiritual, educational, and administrative elements, into two parts. The, the title and the political authority remained in the hands of his descendants until the end of the period of the Nasaim. But after his death, sages from, um, from other families headed the great council. As a result, the spiritual and cultural power of the heads of the, um, the academies greatly increased. From an administrative standpoint, most of the Nasaim, with the exception of individuals such as a couple of rabbis, were leaders in name only. So, uh, Hillel, for instance, if you read anything to do with Judaism during this time period, you would come up with Hillel, right? So, that's one of the, the important rabbis during this time period. So, keep in mind what we learned last week about the responses to grief, okay? So, 
Uh, last week we learned that you have the passive and the aggressive response, the Hasmonean, the Seleucids, etc. Okay, and the Maccabees came in and opposed them, right? And then you have the the Hasidim, the passive ones. Okay, from the from the Hasidim you get the Pharisees and you get uh, the Essenes as well. Additionally. Sanhedrin was this Jewish council working with Rome to maintain law and order in society. Made up of priests, high priests, elders, aristocrats, scribes, and many of them were Pharisees. Okay? So that there's a little bit of a um, even the anti-Rome was somewhat involved with this. Um, look here with the Pharisees. They set the written and the oral Torah. Alright? We'll talk about censoring in a minute. Sadducees only accept the written Torah. Alright, so what we're talking about today was, was a conflict and a debate in Jesus' time as well. That's when he would go and the Pharisees and the Sadducees would, and the scribes and the Sanhedrin would have these arguments. It's related to some of the things that we're talking about today. Alright, so this chart here is probably one of the more helpful ones I'm going to show you. So I'm, I'm just trying to point one or two that might, there's a, probably a couple others, but this one here. So from Moses, okay, we have the written Torah. We agree on that. And then Judaism holds the oral Torah. So you got two Torahs, right? From the written Torah, we're going to get the Midrash. From here, we're going to get the Mishnah, the Gemara, and the Talmud, which we're going to talk about in a minute. And uh, this is divided into six sections, okay, topical sections. Uh, the Midrash is essentially a huge collection of ancient rabbinic teachings connected to the bib biblical text, in particular the Torah. But it, uh, but it is also connected to parts outside of the Torah, so the writings and the prophets as well. Um, these Midrashim, remember, I am at the end of a word in, in Hebrew just means the plural, so the Midrashes, the Midrashim, um, they have legal importance. They might clarify the meaning of a biblical text so that it may be properly implemented in an actual practice. Or they might be homiletic in nature, like preaching, offering insights on theology or human nature. The Mishnah, okay, under the Oral Torah there, is the main collection of legal pronouncements and positions held by ancient rabbis. It forms the most important structural foundation of the Talmud. Mysticism, the esoteric teachings of Judaism known as Kabbalah, comprises the third category of teachings of the Oral Law. The Talmud is essentially, essentially an extended discussion of the Mishnah. In order to understand the text properly, the authors of the Talmud frequently invoke citations from other branches of the Oral Torah. Accordingly, the Talmud forms a distillation of all three and then is known as the wine of Torah for this reason. Okay, so um, wine of Torah, it, it's this compilation, but there's also this idea that it takes effort and time to understand just like a good wine takes effort and time, kind of a thing. So, the wine distillation of Torah takes effort and time to understand. So, the Mishnah, this chart is from Abrams, okay, the sea of the Talmud. Mishnah, Midrash, and Mysticism. These form 
what's called the Talmud. Okay? Rabbinical teachings on Jewish law, rabbinic commentary on biblical passages, and then mysticism, esoteric teachings. So this is another important uh, chart for you put these together. Okay? The principal function of the Talmud is to explore and clarify the meaning of the Mishnah and identify its implications for Jewish law. Halakha. The Talmud is not, however, a code of law or a statement of principles like the Constitution or the Bill of Rights. It is rather a collection of highly coded arguments conforming to a unique set of hermeneutic rules of argument that form the basis of ongoing debates in Jewish law and philosophy through the current day. It's impossible to understand Judaism adequately without engaging the Talmud, and the Talmud retains its relevance and immediacy in every society that Jews have lived in since it was written nearly 2,000 years ago. For example, the rapid evolution of medical technology presents numerous ethical challenges that are without precedent in human history. What is the true definition of death? when medical intervention can keep a brain-injured individual breathing artificially despite a lack of higher cognitive activity? What's the legal relationship between a woman and the child she births when modern medical technology obviates the need for mother and child to share a genetic relationship? Amazingly, these questions and thousands more are addressed in arguments held between the rabbis way back in Babylon and Israel in the 2nd through 5th centuries of um, the Common Era, or A.D., the Talmud is a document that retains its value and importance far beyond the time and place it was composed. So, what that means is you have thousands of years of Jewish thought packed into the Talmud and they continue to discuss it further. So, this next chart is simply a listing. You, you can't really make it out from there except you can see the colors. But, these are the, the different laws. There's 613 laws um, in the Pentateuch. They have 34 different topics or subjects to them. And what these are is this is the coding of them. So, for instance, here, this is sacrifices and offerings, these red dots here, 102. Okay, laws are related to sacrifices, etc. Punishment and restitution, this black line right here. Okay, marriage and divorce, these, this green one. So you can kind of see at a, at a glance, this chart is out of the Quickview uh, Bible by uh, Zondervan. All right? So let me put it to you in a, in a little bit different way. I have adapted these charts from uh, John Stevenson. Okay? So the Tanakh, all right, then branches off. So the Mishnah is the studying of it. All right? It has commentaries and rulings. It's topical. All right? And these teachers make the comments. All right? The Midrash follows the Torah. So this is topical. This follows the Torah order. Right? This has legal and stories or non-legal portions in, in the Midrash. Right? <clears throat> There's further notes than what I have time for this morning on the PowerPoint. You really don't need them for your exam, okay? But um, if you do any studying in Judaism... Or, th this is the type of stuff that you want to know about um, backgrounds to New Testament. Yeah, if you want to understand what's going on when Jesus is dialoguing or what's going on in the New Testament, some of this stuff uh, comes into play and is helpful for that. Okay? So, then you go to another le level. Okay? The Gemara. That's additional studies. 
And then you have the Tosefta. That's a supplement to the Mishnah. So additional. Alright? You take those and then you compile them together and you end up with the Talmud, which is what we're really talking about. Alright? So from the written scriptures, they have all these additional, just think of this comments, okay? Commentaries. So commentary, 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 and it all ends up in the Talmud, except for this section here, the Tosefta, does not end up in the Talmud. Okay? So basically what you have in the Talmud is this huge volume of writings that is commentary and philosophical thought, and a lot of it is arguing and bantering back and forth between rabbis um, about what these passages mean and how to apply them and probably anything that you could possibly think of in addition to that. All right? The Talmud is divided into six major sections, so it's topical, okay? And it has to do with um, agricultural stuff, festivals, women, um, damages to things, sacred things, and purification. All right? So those are your six categories that they, they deal with. So again, this is just a reverse, uh, but shows um, the commentary, the analysis, and the code. So a page of the Talmud, which I have some examples of, and I also uploaded like some PDFs or images that you could actually print out and see what it actually looks like in English. Of course, English isn't how it's originally written, but the commentary is going to be a line-by-line explanation of the text. That part you should be kind of used to, right? The analysis is a critical reading of the text and comparing it with other texts. And the codes are collections and organization of legal materials. So actually the amount of material that they put into one of these documents is pretty astounding. Now with the Talmud, there's actually two of them. Because the exiles were in two places. They were in Babylon, but then they came back to Jerusalem. So you've got the Jerusalem Talmud and the Babylonian Talmud. The Babylonian was composed a little bit later all right, in Iraq. And obviously the Jerusalem was in Jerusalem. So Jerusalem, because it was in Jerusalem, Babylon because it was in Babylonian. The Babylonian is longer, has more material on civil and criminal law. The Jerusalem has more material on agricultural law. You're not going to have to know that. You just need to know that the more important one is the Babylonian one. All right? The timelines. All right, so it was an oral form only, right, from Moses, Joshua, to the elders around this time period, 1300s, 1200s, or going back to 1400s even. Then, for the prophets and scholars, all right, then to pairs of people, and then to teachers, and then to the reciters. All right? And that's how it ends up eventually over here into the Talmud. So it's just a historical uh, continuation of passing on information of oral law. That's what it is. It's just passed on down generation to generation. And each generation, you have additional rabbis dialoguing and discussing. So you've got more information being passed on with each generation until eventually these guys put it in print. So now even though it's oral, it's, it's in print. So these are the same six, the, the six orders, okay? Agricultural, the, the Sabbaths and holidays, holy days, marriage and divorce, civil and criminal law, rituals of the temple, and rituals of purification. All the green themed pages are from Abramson's uh, Sea of the Talmud. <coughs> I just took images. All right, now you can't see this. So um, if you want to see it, you'll have to open a document that I uploaded for you. But this is a guide to the layout of the Talmud page, all right? And so 
what this has is all these different areas that we just talked about are all on one page of text. And so right here is the Mishnah. Right here is the Gemara part. Okay, over here is the uh, Tosafot part, which is, so it is included in this one. Um, over here are glosses on stuff. Over here are additional um, commentaries. Let me go to... This. So here, this one's color coded, okay? So, um, starting with this pink area, you have the Mishnah, the Palestinian, okay? Then you have the Gemara, which came out of Babylon, so it's additional comments on that. Over here, you have the comments of Rashi. He is a, a rabbi, okay? From about 1000, okay, AD. Then you have the, the Tosafists, okay, or the then you have rabbi, another rabbi, okay, in this uh, color yellow, which I think is this one. Then you have additional notes down here, just a little bit here in green. Then you have some anonymous comments down here. Then over here, you have um, the key, one tiny line right there, the key to the scriptural quotation. Then the purple over here on the, the side margin are cross-references to uh, medieval codes of Jewish law, references to other passages in the Talmud, and textual emendations or corrections. Okay? One page has a massive amount of information. It's also very overwhelming and hard to understand if you try to read one of these pages. Like, I don't, I don't like, delve into this a lot, but I think you should be just aware of it. Okay? So this is the same thing, but it's in the, it's in the Hebrew um, text. This is an actual page in Hebrew. And so again, the Mishnah's right in the middle. Rashi's comments are here. The Gemara's here. The Tosafot thing is here. Cross-references the text. So you think of a study Bible, you know, a Christian study Bible, um, on steroids. That's kind of what this is. Or if you've ever seen um, probably the most steroidal, is that a word? Um, Christian study Bible I've ever seen is the one by Dake. Dake's study Bible. Okay, if you've ever seen that, yeah. honestly, if you only had um, one book in the world, um, people would disagree with me probably on this, and I might change my mind. But the amount of the amount of uh, lifetime worth of cross-referencing of materials and whatnot in, in that thing is just a, will blow your mind. So, I mean, and it's got the biblical text in there too, so you don't even have to choose. You know, you can pick one. This is in English, so it has been made in English. All right, so what's that? This is the same thing. It's the Talmud, but it's an English edition. All right? And so this is the Mishnah. This is the Gemara, and it's some Hebrew over there still. But And then these are the additional. There's some background information here, um, and there's notes down at the bottom. Here, here's the thing. If you go read some of these pages, and I uploaded one or two so you can look at them. You can also Google them. If you go read these, you're probably going to be pretty confused at first because here's what they'll do. Um... If the word I, the E-Y-E, is in the verse, um, they might go on for paragraph after paragraph, rabbi after rabbi, talking about the I. In a spiritual sense, in a theological sense, in a literal sense, in a metaphorical sense, cat's eyes, people's eyes, the I, whatever, uh, Eve's eyes when she saw the fruit. Like I'm just saying like anything imaginable. It might go on for pages. Um, so <clears throat> it's overwhelming and crazy and the quote I mentioned earlier um, the, they have a special hermeneutic yeah, we don't argue like they do 
we do refer to people. I mean, we read all these commentaries. It's on one level, it's similar to all these rabbis, right? Um, but it's just set up a lot different. It's it's uh, more of like a it's just, it's a different type of a, a hermeneutic. So the last chart, this and there's one other chart here, um, are simply putting it into a t uh, another timeline flow and throwing on here uh, the targums, which were not mentioned earlier. The targums are Aramaic translations of the Hebrew Bible and some Aramaic paraphrases, and they may disagree or agree with how this is interpreted in Judges. So you can see Biblical Judaism, the Hellenic Judaism, so Greece's influence, and then Rabbinic Judaism, which is what we're talking about right here. Mishma, Mishnah, Talmud, Midrash, the Targums, and the Zohar. We didn't even talk about that. That's something different, okay? But it's, it's the mystic aspect. And then modern to the present. So they're still using all those. All right. What so difference is the Talmud and the Targum again? The Targums are Aramaic. Okay. Okay, so totally separate. So but they're still like commentaries? Uh, it's it's uh, Aramaic translation um, and paraphrasing. Okay. So, but not commentary? Um, I think it's mostly just translation and paraphrase. Like a message Bible? Yeah. Some of it's not as, as much of a paraphrase, probably. Um, but when you read some of the more scholarly commentaries, you're going to be um, exposed to some of this stuff. So they will mention the Targums. Uh, they will mention um, the Talmud, uh, if you, especially if their specialty is backgrounds or comparative literature. So um, I can't, I'm not thinking of somebody specifically in the Old Testament. Well, probably, um, what's Moses, his Ma name? Moses Ma Oh, well, he's one of the rabbis, yeah. Mm -hmm. Right. So, in the New Testament, I think of Craig Keener. Um, I don't know that there's anybody who is more um, voluminous, is that how you say that word? Yeah. Um, with his, his material. I mean, his commentary on the Book of Acts that came out in the last couple of years is four volumes. Each volume is this thick. In a larger than normal size book, like the, um, they're they're twenty five percent larger than this, as in like the size. And each volume is this thick. There's four volumes. Uh, there is one volume. There is no commentary that compares to it. It is massive, and almost everything he writes is like this. His specialty is, is backgrounds. Uh, the footnotes and, and whatnot is just ridiculous. So whoever that is for the Old Testament, I'm not sure who it is. Um, they're going to mention stuff like this. And that's the primary reason I'm telling you this, so that you'll understand some of the trajectory. So I think this is the, the last slide right here, is just kind of putting together how um, it came about. So you've got the Torah, the Tanakh, which is the whole Old Testament, the Mishnah, the Gemara, um, Rashi, who's one of the rabbis, an important one, but the Tosafot, then Maimonides, that's who you just mentioned, okay, another rabbi. Then you've got the Kabbalah, which is the mystic, and then um, modern Jewish literature on so that's the that's the train uh, or chain um, of progression that that goes through. So, uh, wh what do I really want you to to understand about that? Uh, I, I really just want you to be familiar with it, and you know what I what I put on your your chart was understand the difference between the written and the oral Torah. It's off your study guide. The fence around the Torah. I didn't actually mention that, but. What happened was, so they have this oral Torah, 
And this is where Jesus came in conflict with them. Because they wanted to make sure that they didn't break the Torah. So if the oral Torah said, um, don't work on the, the Sabbath. So then what they did to fence that in and make sure they never broke that is they would say, if you're a carpenter and you have uh, nails in your pocket, you're working. Well, God never said that. What he said was don't work. So they're fencing the Torah. They're adding an additional fence around it so that they make sure they don't break it. Okay? That's what they mean. So, And that's what Jesus is talking about. We know those are traditions of men. Like, you made that up. I never said that. God didn't say that. So that's what the, some of the conflict was. So four main things related to rabbinic Judaism. The written oral Torah, the fence around the Torah, the apocrypha that we talked about, okay? And then the Tanakh to the Talmud process. And I don't mean like you have to know all the details in between. I just mean you just need to understand what I'm talking about. Then basically, you've got the Tanakh, the Hebrew Old Testament, and then you've got various sets of commentaries that were oral at first, but then written down and all compiled into what is called the Talmud. So that's it. It's really pretty simple. Okay, Tanakh plus commentaries equals Talmud. And you have how many of them? Go. Two. Right? The Jerusalem and the Babylonian. And which one's more important? Babylonian. Okay? So that, that's what you need to... Quickly define the Tanakh again. The Tanakh is just the Old Testament. Okay. Right? The Torah... The Yes. Yeah. Torah, Nevi'im, and... Ketavim. Yeah. All right? And with the Feast of Israel, what you want to know is, you know, there's four spring ones. You know what they are and their significance. The three fall ones, same thing. And then, just, you know, Purim is related to Esther, etc. So, there is a study guide if you haven't already seen it. Okay, it's been uploaded and emailed to you. 